Thank you, guys. Uh, you guys, grab your seats. I, uh, I, I know I say this every time, um, but what makes me nervous is 25 minutes. So I told them, because they were gonna, they're like screaming, we're going to do this. And I said, if you steal one second of my time, I will call you out. <laughs> um, I just want to say, I want to take you, thank you very much. Um, I went out last night. I don't know if anybody else noticed, but everybody stepped on the stage last night and had brand new shoes on. And I thought I didn't get the memo, so I bought some shoes. Um, I, uh, I want to first, I, I, I do want to say a huge thank you to Pastor Jack and Carol, Pastor Tom, for starting this. This church has ruined me, truly. Uh, I know it's been a while. I mean, we were here, but conference. <clears throat> and today's been really emotional for me because, I, like, I can't, it, it, it kills me to think of people, even watching the video of, of the earthquake. I'm just like, 30,000 people, how many of them were not saved? And uh, it's, it's rough. And I think, man, you know, this church, and the doctor, I, the doctor so profoundly, I think, put it when he said, the breath of what this church does around the world. And I think for me, when we came in 2016, the way that the Holy Spirit worked me into this was like, look, uh, what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> and I just thought, man, every church, you know, we, have a, we have the refuge, and, and that's, we've been doing that for 23 years, and we're passionate about reaching unchurched kids, and more than ever in our country, they need to be reached. They're dying at an alarming rate with drug addiction and suicide, and, and we're passionate about that. But the truth is, is if every church was like the refuge, there would be so many gaps, so many holes. People wouldn't be getting reached. And if every church decided they were going to just be all about worship and put out album after album, there would be so many gaps. And if it's, oh, every church was going to be about small groups and discipleship, there'd be so many gaps. But if every church was like this church, Jesus would have come already. And that's hard. Like, that's hard to think about because he said it's his passion that everyone would be saved. And it's his passion that everyone would hear. And it kills me, kills me. So this is not my notes. That was a side note. I apologize. I, I, we brought a big group this time. I was so excited. I want to make sure the best person I've ever known, the greatest thing that ever happened to me other than after Jesus was my wife, Reagan. We've been married 23 years. You guys know her. We met when she was 12. I was 13. It's awesome. Both of my boys are here, Jay and Benny. And then we brought our group. I, I got Uche and Sosa, and they brought their kids, this wonderful family. They're our worship leaders. And uh, I was thinking the other day, um, Uche is non-familial. Of, of if everybody that's not my family, Uche, after Reagan, is the second longest friendship I have. Crazy, right? And it's really awesome. Tess and Stephen, who like basically make the church function, and Savannah, Luke, and Katie, who just took a job as youth pastors in another another uh, city, which we're so excited about. But I wanted them to come. Our children's pastor McKenna, her husband Freddie, who does worship and the youth, and then Olivia, who does photography and video, helps Jay, and then of course Caleb. Everybody has met Caleb before. Just thank you guys for coming. I want them to catch this.
I want them to catch this. Um, I've already used four minutes. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I, I want to share a message tonight. I, I want to make sure I say something up front here. Um, I'm not going to share in just a second, like a theological dissertation. It's, it, it has nothing to do with that. I'm only aiming to communicate what and how God communicates to me. Every time I take the stage, I'm fully committed to the idea that this might be the last time Pastor Jack asks me to preach. <laughs> and uh, so just so you know that, uh, this, this evening I just want to share something because it's something God's been moving on me, working in me. These last four years, three years have been unbelievable. And I feel like the Holy Spirit has done so much in my life, revealed so much to me about me and about my faith and about my own lives, as well as the lives of other believers through the pandemic and just how things have unfolded and how attached and in love we are with our own lives. Um, and so in that process, God just, he does, he, he does things. I know, I'm sure pastor is the same way. The, the sermons I preach in private are always way better than the sermons I preach in public. The way I pray in private, the way I worship in private is always crazier than the way I worship in public. And one of those moments of worship, I was singing and, and worshiping, and I was singing that song, I'll Raise a Hallelujah. And I was singing, and I was just having my own time. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, where is your hallelujah? And I thought, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, where is your hallelujah? And I was like, what are you talking about? And, he's, and all of a sudden, there, this conversation began to unfold between me and him. And he says, where's that hallelujah? And I, and I began to like think, what are you trying to say to me? And I went through these steps in which I thought, okay, I need to look at this. We know, most people know what it means. I, it's, it's, you know, people say, oh, it means praise the Lord. So I thought, it means praise the Lord. What do you mean, where's my hallelujah? And so I like looked into it. And then I realized, oh, wait, it's not necessarily praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it actually means glorify. The word hallelujah actually means to glorify God. Yeah. And, and I thought, you might think I'm splitting hairs, right? I mean, praise the Lord and glorify God are relatively the same thing. But here's what God was saying to me. He's saying, you know, when you sing hallelujah, you're not thinking praise the Lord. You're not thinking anything. You're singing hallelujah. When you sing Jesus loves me, you're thinking Jesus loves me. When you sing, I love you, Jesus, you're thinking, I love you. When you sing, God is holy, you're thinking, God is holy. But when you're singing hallelujah, you're not, you're stepped. You're not operating anymore in the framework in which you understand. There's something powerful about the word hallelujah. It really isn't a word that you go, that, that makes sense to me, right? Hallelujah. Yet, it carries this anointing with it. Right? It can, nobody in a prayer meeting starts, when somebody starts singing hallelujah, goes, wait a minute, what does that mean? I'm, in order to sing this, I need to understand what I'm singing, yet we sing it all the time. We hallelujah, hallelujah. And the, the word actually has two meanings. Hala actually has two meanings. Uh, Solomon uses it quite a bit in Ecclesiastes. The other meaning to the word hala is madness, foolishness, folly. Right? And we think about that, and you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute, to glorify God. Now, listen, I can't tell you. I know what it means to see God glorified, but I can't tell you really. I can't articulate to you what it means to glorify God. And, and, and really, the point I feel like the Holy Spirit was trying to make to me was, is where is that 
undescribable, unexplainable faith. When, when you worship me in words and in terms that you understand, you're in control of everything that's happening, right? You're, you're operating in a sense in which you know, I'm crying out to you, God. I'm asking you to rescue me. I'm asking you to encourage me, or I'm attempting to encourage you. I'm here. I know I'm worshiping, but I'm here. When we cry hallelujah, we're just singing out of the obedience of the word. We know what it says. In fact, in Revelations 19, it tells us that when the angel takes John near, John describes it like this, like a thunderstorm. I heard the saints worshiping. And what did they say? Hallelujah. Glorify God. The word's actually a command. It's not like a suggestion. It's a command. And God began to really speak to me about the control, like how I've begun to operate in my life in, in, in a framework in which I can explain, I can articulate, I can tell people why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. And God is calling me to operate in a framework in which it seems like foolishness, madness to the world. He said, where's your hallelujah? Where's the unexplainable answers to your prayers? Because the Bible doesn't say, let them see your church service and they'll glorify God in heaven. It says, let them see your good works. And let me tell you something, with inflation and everything that's happening in the world, you giving money to another country is madness. A million dollars, $900,000. Look, in the United States, we just had a football player going to cardiac arrest on the field. There's 340 million people in the United States. Most of them heard about what occurred. If you include worldwide audiences, you're talking probably about half a billion people who heard about him and what took place. And you know how much money a half a billion people raised for charity? $8 million. Look around this room. You gave almost a million dollars to missions. Not a half a billion people. This church, this church, 900,000 plus dollars to people you won't meet until you get to heaven. That's madness. That's, to the world, they go, why? And you know what we do? We jump right over here and we go, well, let me explain. And God's going, no, I don't want you to explain. I don't live in the explainable. I live in the unexplainable. I live in the almost indefensible faith that can't be made sense. And God's saying, that's where I am. I'm there. And you're here because you're in control. And in the process of, of kind of like, and, and you went, hilarious. Gosh, where's your hallelujah? Well, you know what the first thing I did? Well, I'm going to study it and find out. <laughs> right? And I, so they have the hallelujah psalms, and I went through all eight of them, but I, only one verse I want to share tonight. And that's this verse, right? Psalms 106, verse 47. This is what it says. It says, save us, Lord, our God. Gather us from the nations. Gather us from the nations. We have to have this heart that the unbeliever out there that God intends to save is one of us. Gather us from the nations. 
There are some of us in India and in Turkey that just don't know they're one of us yet. And he's saying, gather us from the nations. And then he says this, and if we are of our Lord, then he says, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. You know what stuck out to me? He says, and glory in your praise. You know what he's saying to us? He's saying that we are at our best when it's all about him. The world tells us that we are at our best when it's all about us. That's what the world tells us. We are at our best. This verse is saying that I may glory everything I'm looking for, I find in him. That I may glory in your praise. When it's all about you. This is why Paul, when he says this in 2 Corinthians 5.13, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Right? If we are out of our minds... You know how many times in Corinthians Paul says, you say I'm a fool? I'm up to, you're, you're saying it's all, this is all folly, right? What is he talking about? He's talking about the hallelujah. He's talking about this unbelievable, this, this intrinsic thing that we can't define that occurs deep within our soul when all we're doing is obeying God. But when we sing about how he loves us, we get stuck in our own, like we're thinking, oh, how he loves us. I mean, we're weeping. Why? Because we're like, oh, he loves us. When we're singing hallelujah, none of that occurs. Nobody goes, hallelujah, I'm pr- I praise the Lord. I mean, I'm thinking that. No, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking that when I say praise the Lord. When I'm singing hallelujah, all I'm doing is going, hallelujah, I want God to be glorified. Hallelujah. Yet God anoints it because there's something that separates us from this, the control, because we want it. In Psalms 106, that when it's all about him, that we may glory. And that brings me to my first point, which is this. He is the king. I am not. He is the king. He's the one on the throne of my heart. I am not the one on the throne of my heart. If he is the king, then he has the authority. If he has the authority, he is the author. If he is the author, who writes this for you? Who writes this for you? Because when we're operating in the hallelujah, we're we're outside of that. We're going, God, I want to do something that makes people look at it and go, you're an idiot. So that you're glorified. We get caught up in the mechanics because we can control that. When the same way, when we worship right in the vein of what we know and understand, we function in that, we can control that. James calls this sensual wisdom, right? James 3, 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is the wisdom that does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Imagine that, wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Wisdom, earthly wisdom, wisdom that's based on our circumstances, Sensual wisdom based on what we see, what we taste, what we touch, what we hear, uh uh-oh, and what we feel. You know where we see this the most? In this phrase. Do you know what we could do with that? Do you know what we could do with $900,000 here in Penrith? Do you know what we could do with that $250 a month faith promise? We could save for holiday. We could save for retirement. You guys retire in Australia, right? 
Do you know what we can do? First of all, who's in control of that statement? Do you know what we can do? Second of all, and here's where I may never get asked back. Do you know who else said that? Judas. Judas did. That woman broke that perfume and washed Jesus' feet. And Judas said, do you know what we could do with that? Do you know what we could do with that? How dare her? Here's my second point. It's either his cause or your cause. Judas said, I have a cause, and she just wasted that perfume. And when we operate in our cause, Judas was saying, hey, you know how many people we could feed? And maybe it would have been in the thousands, but Jesus, when it's his cause, that perfume has healed millions of lives. The broken heart, the unwanted, the throwaway, Do you know how many millions of people have seen her sacrifice, saw how Jesus treated her, and found healing in the word of God because when it was in his hands, when it was his cause, he took that thing and did with it nobody. Judas couldn't see that. And let's be real. Jesus did, or Judas didn't want to feed the hungry. He wanted the money. That's why he betrayed him. We see this, right? Whose cause, his or mine? Let me ask you. You think God wants you to be happy? More than he wants to reach the unlost sinner or the lost sinner? Do you think God wants you to be happy more than he wants to rescue the lost It's the toughest question you will have to ask yourself. And I encourage you to ask it a lot. Because let me tell you something. In this body, while we live in this flesh, we profit nothing in it. Nothing. It produces nothing eternal. Only when we operate in the hallelujah. Only when we're willing to deny ourselves of what the whole world says we are fools to deny ourselves. Only when we're willing to say there is a cause greater than our own can God be glorified in what we do. And man, the flesh does not want you to realize that. It wants you to think, no, no, no. God's greatest cause is my happiness. And once I've resolved all these other things in my life, I'll start giving to missions. Let me say, He wants to offer them salvation from an eternity apart from him. Not salvation from a boring, difficult life. That's what we think he offers us. But salvation from an eternity apart from him. Do you think God is willing and able to take care of your desires and your wants if you're willing to take care of his? Do you think God is willing to take care? No, no. Do you think God is willing and able beyond all that you can ask or think to take care of your desires and your wants if you are willing to take care of his? Because the Bible clearly tells us what his desire is, that none should perish. That none should perish. That is his desire. Can I tell you something? I thank God all the time that that desire is real. And one day it reached out and it grabbed my heart. And I knew that my life had meaning 
And I knew that the God who made me, made me for a reason. And even though I was spotted and blemished and mean and rude and selfish, his love saw past all of that. And it changed me. It's such a hard thing to come to terms with, right? He, ta- he can take care of our emotional ha- happiness, the quality of our life. He takes care of those things when we trust him. I like to say at home, God is really good at being God when we let him. But man, it's so easy for us to be on the throne and not him. When I first came into the ministry, there was a saying that I just fell in love with. And it was this, when I'm old, it will not matter. How much money I have in the bank, what car I drove, how many houses I owned, right? We all know this, but it will only matter that I made the difference in the life of a child. Can I say that I've scrapped that? Your church ruined me. Because now I say, when I'm old, it will not matter how much money I have, how many cars I own, how many homes, how many trips how many experiences, how many much memories I can make. But that heaven would be crowded because of how I lived. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in just bettering people's lives because someday they will lose it. I'm interested in taking the gospel to everyone, everywhere. Where is my hallelujah? My unrestrained, indescribable, unexplainable, indefensible faith that everyone everywhere deserves to hear the name of Jesus. It's easy to lose that hallelujah amidst the wonders of God's world, amidst the wonders of his blessings. Finally, faith is not defined by outcomes. It's defined by obedience. Faith is not defined by, we are an outcome obsessed society. The first world, absolutely obsessed with outcomes. Your Facebook page is flooded with before and afters. We're obsessed with it, but faith is not defined by outcomes. It's defined by obedience. And I'll prove it to you. When Moses smacked the rock, when God had told him to speak to it, guess what? Water still came out. But Moses did not go in because he was disobedient. Because he was disobedient. Noah was the first evangelist. And by today's standards, he was terrible at it. (laughs) Terrible. He was the only evangelist. And yet the only people he could convince were his family. Yet because he was obedient, he saved the world. Because he was obedient. And if you don't believe me, our entire, our entire faith is built upon this principle. I'll read it to you. John 3, 11 through 15. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen. This is Jesus speaking. And you, yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things and how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the son of man has come down from heaven. 
Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up that bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. When I read this, you know what I think? This is, this is Jesus reminding them, hey, you remember what happened with Moses, right? And the snakes came and everybody was bit by the snake. They died, right? And then he said, go and take all your jewelry and make a bronze version of that snake and put it in the center of the tent. And anybody who gets bit, you tell them, go and look at that bronze snake and you will live. You try explaining how that worked. You guys have the deadliest snakes in the world. There's nobody in this room, if you got bit by a brown snake, said, hey, don't worry, I've got a bronze version of a brown snake on the other side of the house. Just go, don't go to the hospital. Just go look at it. Right? Yet that's what, why? Because we're, that we're saved because we obeyed. That's the hallelujah. There's no explaining it. There's no explaining it. And we look at this faith promise and we go, there is a world without Jesus. And we have him. We must do everything in our power for our king. We must do everything in our power for his cause. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you have blessed us. I thank you, God, that you have abundantly provided for us. I thank you, God, we get to live the lives we get to live. But mostly, I thank you, God, for bearing this burden on us. The joy of carrying the gospel to the nations. That you would gather them all. That you would gather them all. So that on that day, when the trumpet sounds... And the sky splits. Lord Jesus, heaven might be crowded. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.